Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. Today we're going to wade into the waters of some popular ideas about the mind. Some that are even reaching into schools and workplaces because they believe it's therapeutic for its workers and for the world in general. Christians need some information about them because lots of it comes out of Eastern religious ideas, pagan religious practices, or even Christian mysticism. They're problematic for lots of reasons and can draw battle lines, like when someone wants to bring one of these popular ideas into the church, often unknowingly, and sometimes they can cause issues for Christians when his or her boss requires participation, and some of the biggest corporate names out there are requiring it. And these ideas are permeating into the schools, too. All in all, we just need a heads up because some of this stuff isn't always what we think it is. Right. This is not about judgment if you are participating, and on a certain level, some of these things might be okay. Exactly, but not to the level sometimes they're taken to. So let's start by talking about meditation, because meditation is at the core of this stuff. Most Christians know that the Bible tells us where to meditate. Genesis 24:63 says, Early in the evening, Isaac went out to the field to meditate, and looking up, he saw the camels approaching. So here's an example of a man of God that's meditating. But as you know, Chris, Isaac wasn't sitting in the lotus position, repeating Om and trying to empty his mind. No, he wasn't. Meditation in Eastern religious practice sometimes is used to empty the mind. And we're going to talk about more of that kind of meditation, the real purpose behind trying to empty your mind, and some of the interesting things when we do our episode about yoga and martial arts. Right. But the meditation we're going to talk about in this episode involves the person creating images in their mind, not emptying it. Or it's done by concentrating on sounds, smells, tastes, or other sensations to create a kind of daydream in attempt to remove the person from their circumstances or give them control over their circumstances. It's called visualization and it's popular to use it in several ways. This is something more than just relaxing. For instance, lots of us have tried to relax at times by fixing a picture of the beach in our mind or listening to the sounds of nature and closing our eyes in an attempt to calm ourselves. This is reasonable. It is reasonable. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul talks about having the peace of God. He tells the Philippians to pray and ask God for help, but along with that, in their prayer, they're to give thanks. So obviously, they're thinking of good things they're thankful for. And then, right after that, in verse 8, Paul tells them, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's reasonable that in addition to prayer, a Christian might relax by thinking about something peaceful or good. But that's not what we're talking about in today's version of visualization. The idea behind today's version of visualization is that the mind has some sort of power to actually change your circumstances or to produce a certain outcome for you. For instance, if you're a cancer patient, you might be told that by imagining a Pac-Man gobbling up cancer cells in your body, like the old Pac-Man game gobbled up those dots, that you can actually gobble up your cancer cells. I just read a fiction book and the woman was doing this and it was working for a while and then in the end she died because it didn't really work. That's because this kind of visualization is fiction and not an actual treatment. Rose, what we think about is important and can influence how we feel, emotionally and physically. But like you said, 
visualizing your cancer cells being destroyed doesn't destroy them. And like you said, Chris, what's on our minds can influence even how we feel physically. People who have a positive outlook on their situation, for instance, especially in a case where there's health issues involved, often seem to have a better response to treatments. That's true. And Christians can stay optimistic because they know that God is sovereignly in control of their situation from beginning to end, and that according to Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Rose, doctors who tell their patients they can cure themselves of whatever through meditation and visualization give people false hope. They do. The idea that your mind has power and that what you think is responsible for what happens in your life, as if your thoughts are like a video and what's on the video is what your life will be like, isn't how life works. And it goes much further than just being used for health reasons. Now, more and more people truly believe that they can actually change their circumstances just by meditating and visualizing things the way they want to be. Healed from a disease, they can gain wealth. A famous swimmer attributes his winning gold medals at the Olympics to using visualization. And lots of people attribute all kinds of success to visualization. There are even Christian false teachers who promote it regularly. And we're going to deal with those so-called Christians who promote this stuff in another episode because they are false teachers. They're teaching trash, not truth. It also goes by the name of the law of attraction. And this kind of crap has been made even more popular by Oprah, who endorsed a recent book on the subject. Yeah, that's just the latest book and probably takes it further than some in the past because this is not a really new concept. Right after the Great Depression, Napoleon Hill published Think and Grow Rich. Then there was Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking. And later, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins, who's a popular self-help guru. All of these books contain some sound principles for planning your goals, which makes sense, but they were mixed with ideas about your thoughts, desires, and your imagination influencing somehow what happens to you. And Chris, Christians need to know that while our minds can control our behavior, our mind doesn't have the power to control our circumstances. First Chronicles 29.12 tells us, Wealth and honor come from God alone, for he rules over everything. Power and might are in his hand, and at his discretion, people are made great and given strength. And then Isaiah 45, 7, God tells us, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. And like we always say, God is sovereign over everything. Proverbs 20, 24 tells us a person's steps are determined by the Lord. And Proverbs 16, 33 tells us, that we make our own decisions, but the Lord alone determines what happens. And that even includes our time of death. Job 14 verse 5 says, You've decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Likewise, Ecclesiastes 8, 8 says, No one has power of the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. And just for emphasis, I'll throw in Job 12.10, which says the life of every living thing is in his hand, as well as the breath of all mankind. You know, people who promote something different than what the Bible teaches are either charlatans or they're deceived themselves. The idea of the mind having power goes back not only to Eastern religions, but shamanism, witchcraft, the occult, and New Age religions. You know, Rose, you bring up a good point about being deceived. I just heard a popular New Ager turned Christian say that she believed this stuff for a long time. 
and some of the good stuff she visualized was happening for her. But when she became a Christian, she came to the realization that they weren't happening through her mind. She totally recognizes and talks about God's sovereignty over the situation, but she says that he was allowing demonic forces to make it seem like she had the power to make it happen through visualization. Wow. That should be a wake-up call. Should. So, moving on to the next altered state of mind, let's talk about something called guided imagery. This is where you're led by someone else, or in other words, you're guided by someone through the process of meditation, the Eastern religious meditation, followed by suggestions to focus on your breathing, then going on to tell you what you should picture in your mind. Yeah, they claim this is used for helping lower blood pressure, managing pain, losing weight, and a variety of other things. And it can be successful. It can be done one-on-one or in groups with one person leading the whole group of people. When guided imagery is done medically, say for losing weight, you might picture yourself fit and healthy, you don't get out of breath, you're getting asked out on dates, or whatever else might go along with losing weight. So in essence, you'd be experiencing how this new you would be in your mind, and that would help you in reality. And Rose, on the good side, picturing yourself walking without getting out of breath after you lose the weight could be helpful, and there's nothing bad in doing that. No, there's not. But you can't let it become an idol. You can't become dependent on your thoughts and the imagined experiences as if that's what's actually changing you. Guided imagery starts with meditation. Let's talk about what the Bible says how we're to meditate. Like we said, the Bible talks about meditating, but on God's word. Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Right, and Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So a Christian is supposed to think about the word of God. He or she is to contemplate that and they're to chew on that. That's the exact opposite of both trying to empty your mind or someone suggesting you should rely on images that you put into your mind. It is. And in Colossians 3.2, Christians are told to set their minds on things that are above where Christ is seated with God. And, you know, talking about guided imagery producing change, the second thing to consider is that the Bible also teaches us how we're to change. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, for instance, you're saying if someone's overweight because they're a glutton, and obviously many, many, many people are overweight and are not gluttons. There's lots of reasons to be overweight, but let's say that's your reason. If gluttony is your reason that you're overweight, then you've got a sin aspect to deal with here. And guided imagery doesn't get rid of that aspect, even if it does help you get skinny. Exactly. The Holy Spirit changes a Christian as he or she studies, meditates on God's word, and that is what helps us get rid of our sin aspect. I totally agree. But Rose, I want to mention one more thing about guided imagery, as well as hypnosis, which is another alternative therapy. They can be dangerous, too. They can. You know, words are powerful, even when you're fully alert. If your doctor lifts your arm to check your range of motion and says, tell me when this hurts, your mind will automatically expect it to hurt at some point. But if he lifts your arm without saying anything and afterwards says, did that hurt, you're more likely to say, no, it didn't hurt at all. That's why salesmen are trained to ask things in a specific way. And if our brains are set up for suggestion 
like that when we're alert, what's the possibility that we're going to succumb to suggestion much more easily in a meditative or hypnotic state? I mean, the point is, you're putting your mind in the hand of someone else. You are. And there are some bad stories out there about it. There's even support groups for people who've had bad experiences because they've been meditating, they've been involved in guided imagery, or they've been put under hypnosis. You know, we don't have time to go into them, but you can look them up. And Chris, there's a lot of verses that say to the contrary. 1 Peter 5, 8, Ephesians 6, 18, Mark 13, 33, Isaiah 21, 7, 1 Peter 4, 7. It's in the book of Corinthians, Colossians, and Luke. We're told to be alert and be watchful. Exactly. We're supposed to be alert because Jesus might come at any time, alert because the devil is prowling around, alert in our prayers. We could go on and on. But the point is, it's hard to be alert to what someone might be putting in your mind while you're in some meditative or hypnotic state. When your mind is in a state like that, your critical thinking and decision-making skills are set aside. Or as one description of hypnosis put it, those skills are at least muted. I mean, that should get your attention. Yeah, absolutely. Christians are to submit themselves to God. We're supposed to have self-control and we're supposed to take every thought captive according to 2 Corinthians 10.5. So we've given some verses to think about and I think I would add to be careful who's leading in these practices. And you know what? If you're going to do it, at least take a strong Christian with you who you trust and who isn't going to be participating in it with you. That's a great idea. And Rose, I want to mention one more thing about guided imagery here that has to do with Christians. Guided imagery is now being used in Christian retreats and in Bible studies. It is. And Chris, it's steeped in mysticism. It's done by entering an altered state of consciousness through meditation. Again, the Eastern religion kind, not the biblical meditation. And once you've reached that meditative state, they say you'll be quieted inside and be able to find God. Or in some circles, they even go so far as to say you'll find your true self or your divine spark which is the understanding that every human possesses either a connection with God or is a part of God. Chris, this is New Age cultism. It's heresy, and it has no place in Christian circles. It has no place at all in Christian circles. And you might be surprised to know, it's taught by some very popular teachers like Beth Moore, Priscilla Shirer, Rick Warren, Max Lucado, and lots of others. Wow. Yeah, I, that's what I say. And it's put forth as a way to open yourself up to prayer and up to the scriptures better. It has some names. It's called Contemplative Prayer, Centering Prayer, or Lectio Divina. If someone, even someone you've trusted as a teacher up till now, mentions doing any of these things or wants you to meditate so that they can guide your mind in some direction, run away. Run away. And Chris, there's something else that sort of goes along with the idea of training your mind using meditation. And that's a practice called mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is definitely another popular idea. It's used medically. It's used in schools. It's required by some businesses, especially for upper-level management people. In other words, it's used for a lot of stuff. And it's really got some confusing terms. So let's try to clarify it a bit. Well, we all get the idea of being in the moment, meaning not to be distracted all the time and concentrate on what's happening now. That makes perfect sense. But mindfulness promoters don't stop there. The true idea behind the mindfulness that you hear about all the time is done through the practice of meditation, again, the Eastern religion kind. 
You meditate so that you'll begin to be more and more aware of staying or having your mind in the moment. And in addition to that, while you're in the moment of present reality, you train yourself not to judge what's happening as being neither good nor bad. So the idea is that meditation is going to help you more and more to control your reactions to your situation, including your emotions, by training you to concentrate on what's happening this moment and training you to not think of what's happening as right or wrong, good or bad in any way. Yeah, but there's more. Promoters of this idea of mindfulness also intend for you not to judge yourself for thoughts that automatically pop in your mind either. They say that because these thoughts are automatic, you're not responsible for them, meaning you shouldn't let them make you feel bad about yourself. Because if you do, it could lead you to experience anxiety, depression, or other bad feelings. So the mindfulness that's so popular today really is a lot more than just not being distracted. The true idea of it says to try to stay in the moment and never judge anything that's happening. And that would include what others are doing as good or bad. And at the same time, don't judge the thoughts that pop into your own mind about the situation as good or bad either to keep from feeling bad. So you don't feel any guilt and you don't feel any conviction that, you know, you've done anything wrong. As one mindfulness website puts it, I'm going to stay neutral if I do this. Rose, if I was typing this to someone right now, I would be using the eye rolling emoji. (laughs) I agree. Let me read something that was written by a doctor. Here's what he said. The brain is a sneaky character. It's a fact that our brain generates all kinds of false, inaccurate, and destructive thoughts, urges, impulses, or desires. They bubble up into our consciousness, and we have no control over the fact that they emerge. When your brain is operating on autopilot, there's little you can do unless you begin to pay more attention. Even more to the point, no matter what the context, you're not responsible for those initial thoughts, urges, and impulses that bubble up outside of your awareness and without your content. So let me get this straight. We have deceptive, meaning bad, brain messages that come from our sneaky brains that we can't control because they pop up. And that's true. We do have things that pop into our minds that are bad or sinful. But then this goes on to say that we're not responsible for these deceptive or bad messages because we have no control over them. Meaning, we shouldn't consider them sinful or think bad of ourselves for having them. Is that it? Because like you said earlier, they might cause us to have bad feelings about ourselves. You got it. But of course, this goes against what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman in lust after her already has committed adultery with her in his heart. Chris, the reason Jesus said that looking lustfully at a woman was adultery was because he wants us to recognize the beginning of sin to stop us from acting on it. While we can't control some of the thoughts that come into our minds sometimes, we certainly have to judge them as good or bad, and like the Bible says, we have to take them captive. What happens in our minds that's against God's law is still sin, even if it just pops into our minds. We have to recognize it and call it what it is. If you covet something of your neighbors the very second that you see it, that's sinful. A Christian doesn't have to beat themselves up for it and shouldn't. But they do need to take that thought captive and ask forgiveness for it and help for not feeling jealous anymore. Exactly. And this doctor goes on to say that we do have veto power to stop before we act on the thoughts through something he calls the wise advocate. 
Yeah, the wise advocate they speak of might seem like they mean God or the Holy Spirit, but the promoters of mindfulness don't believe in the one true God or any personal God at all. The wise advocate they're talking about is your inner voice. Supposedly, your wise advocate knows what you're thinking, how you feel, and some people picture their wise advocate or inner voice as a friend or spouse or even pet. Chris, doesn't it seem ludicrous that your inner voice, if it's you and not not God or the Holy Spirit, would be wise to things that you are thinking? Yeah, I know. Well, it's no wonder they make you picture somebody else, like or even the dog, or worse yet, the cats. <laughs> Sadie knew exactly what I was thinking, or at least I knew what she was thinking. I don't know what that says about me, but you know, if I'm going to put this in a nutshell. They're telling me I'm going to get better emotionally, mentally, maybe even physically by picturing my dead dog, Sadie, one of the cats or a friend, as my inner voice. And that voice is going to give me veto power over how I react emotionally and physically while I take in whatever's happening at the moment. Rose, this sounds remotely like the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin that we're about to commit and stopping us from it. But this is a total perversion of that. Because if I practice this kind of mindfulness... I'm not even going to acknowledge that I have any sin because I'm not going to judge my deceptive thoughts that popped up. Exactly. Because you don't want to feel bad about yourself. It's ridiculous. Chris, the Holy Spirit does convict us of sin and the Bible says we are to govern our minds. Part of the fruit of the Spirit is having self-control. Mindfulness is more like denying reality. And once again, it starts with the Zen Buddhist meditation. Uh, Yeah, you're right. It, It is really like denying reality. Uh, I have all kinds of things I'd like to say about that, but I won't say them here. But the main thrust of this does come from Buddhism, and Christianity and Buddhism don't mix. The very idea of mindfulness comes from something called satipatthana, or the establishment or arousing of mindfulness, and is part of a Buddhist practice. Rose, mindfulness proponents claim that you'll rewire your brain to do the mindfulness thing better and better. And... Christians are to rewire our brains, but we're to do it by reading and studying scripture. Once we're saved, we're a new person with a new nature. Romans 12, 2 says we're to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Yeah, exactly. Even taken at its basis meaning, some aspects of mindfulness are just troubling. I mean, are we really supposed to think in the moment? Or are we supposed to think about our past and future too? Again, if we look at the Bible, the Israelites were to tell their children about the past. That included what God did for them, reminding them of his promises, but it also included a warning about the things they did wrong, the sin they committed, and the consequences of that sin. Certainly, that doesn't fit the standard of not thinking about our past. And what about the future? Well, the Bible has something to say about that. We're not to worry about our future, but we're certainly to give it thought. Proverbs 6, 6-8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Yeah, there's a lot of Buddhist influence here in mindfulness, but more importantly, this definitely goes against what the Bible teaches in so many ways. And of course, its advocates do qualify these ideas by saying that you can take mindfulness way too far. For example... What if you had thoughts to use someone for your own gain and actually followed through on that impulse? Proponents of mindfulness say the philosophy underpinning it would not look at this from a neutral position. They would label this kind of non-judging behavior as harmful and destructive. 
This is how you know this stuff is garbage. When you follow something all the way through to the end and it either falls apart or it could be abused and be destructive so it requires some qualification. That's how you know it's trash and not truth. Well, Chris, that's where we need to end today. Like we said at the beginning, whether these concepts can be harmful or not and whether they line up with the Bible or not can be confusing. But we hope this episode has shed some light on things Christians should take into consideration before delving into any of them. And if you have any questions or comments about today's episode, please leave them on whatever podcasting platform you're listening from today or on our website, proverbs 9 Have a blessed day.